Thursday here on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. We have been talking all about the NFL game thus far this week, going through, uh, what did we do? Let's see, on Monday we went through Vikings camp, Tuesday we went through Lions camp, yesterday took you through Chief Center Mitch Morris, today we return to the college game to talk a little bit about SEC with Mark Schofield. Today's show is brought to you by Crossover Football. It gives you the ability to break down game film in order to pull stats, searchable clips, tendency reports, and much more from both desktop and mobile solutions. To try one game for free, sign up for a demo at crossover.com slash pylon. That's crossover with a K dot com slash pylon, and you get one free breakdown today. Mark, talking a little bit more SEC. I know we went through Ole Miss for a couple days last week. What do you have on tap for us today? I noticed that you had a piece up on Tennessee earlier. Is that what we're chatting about? Yeah, we could talk a little bit about, uh, we could start with Tennessee, um, a team that people are kind of expecting to sort of make that leap. They haven't quite got there to where they can win an SEC East, um, but people expect they might be able to make that leap this year. They've got some returning stars and uh, Joshua Dobbs, uh, Jalen Hurd, the running back. Um, So I took a look at their offense as well as going through a presentation that Coach Jones had given uh, to the Nike Coaches Clinic, breaking down some of the schemes that they use in the passing game. And um, a couple of the schemes that they use um, really stand out when you watch them on film. But one that I focus this piece on is something that they call their double post concept. So what exactly are we talking about when we talk uh, double post here? Is this a post from uh, each side of the field, from the boundary in, or are we talking about two posts on one side of the field, on, on one side of the formation? It's the latter. It's two posts on one side of the field. And they drew this up out of a three-by-one formation um, where they have the backside X receiver basically running the vertical route. It can be either a straight vertical or sort of an out-and-up design. Um, The tight end on the way Coach drew it up um, stays in on the way he drew it up. But as we'll get into, they can run it out of any formation. And then the two other receivers into the trips, the outside guy will run what they call their band eight post route, which is release vertically hit 12 yards. And then you cut not as sharply over the middle as you, your traditional post route. It's kind of a more instead of 45 degrees, maybe 15 degrees off vertical. So you're still kind of staying pretty vertical. So that's the band eight post route. We'll get into why you kind of bend it the way you do in a second. Then the inside receiver, that middle guy in the trips, runs what they call a through route. And it's a variation of a post, but the through refers to the fact that that receiver is going to vary the way he breaks dependent on the coverage. And he's going to aim to run through the inside shoulder of the nearest safety. So what this means in practice is that receiver will get out and check the coverage. And if the middle of the field is open, say cover two, cover four, where you don't have a safety right in the middle of the field over the football, he's going to stay more vertical. So he's going to aim for that inside shoulder of the safety closest to him. So he's still going to try to work his way towards the middle, but he's not really going to come over the middle of the field like on a traditional post route. Let's say he gets over the line of scrimmage, gets up, lined up, and he sees single high safety, cover one, cover three. Now he's going to, again, aim for the inside shoulder of that guy. So he's going to come more across the field and occupy that guy, basically. Because if you think about cover one, cover three, that little post route now occupies that middle of the field safety. And you've got the outside guy running that little band eight post route. He comes over the middle just off vertical just enough to get some separation from that backside cornerback. 
and not run into that safety. So that's kind of the design and the different reads that that middle receiver has. Now, what's interesting, and Coach Jones talks about this in the presentation, they love this play anywhere on the field and out of any formation. They'll run it backed up in their own end. They'll run it in the middle of the field. They'll run it in the red zone. They love it in the red zone. And when I say they'll run it out of any formation, what really stood out to me was Ethan Wolf, a rising junior tight end who people haven't really talked about too much. They love him running that through route out of a two-by-two formation formation where he gets to match up against some safeties sometimes he'll get a little bit of a linebacker covering him if it's say a tampa two variant and he's a very athletic move type tight end that made some big plays for tennessee using this pass route concept now when they use him out of that two by two formation is he split out in the slot or is he still in line they'll do it both ways most of the time that they do it with him he's either a wing tight end where he's slightly offset just staggered back from the tackle on either side of the field, or he's in a slot formation where, you know, they'll go, maybe it's trio where he, they get three receivers to the side of the field and he's, you know, in the middle in that formation, or if he's just a tight end in the slot. So does this look when, when they're running this, does that effectively give him a similar look to what you would see from an inline tight end on just like a seam route, trying to find that gap between two safeties or just finding that little hole there. If it is cover one or something like that. Well, if it's cover one, he's not going to – that inside through route isn't really going to be where the quarterback's looking to go with the football. Okay. Because the way that does – the way that lines up is he's basically going to occupy that single high safety, and then you're creating a throw-in lane between sort of the middle of the field and the numbers, say, on the field itself because you've got that outside guy running that band-aid post route, and if you're saying – you know, you're seeing cover three – that cornerback has to sort of respect the vertical route. So he'll take sort of outside leverage on that, give a little bit of a, an inside advantage to the receiver running that band eight route. Then you've got that tight end or slot receiver running that through route, occupying the safety in the middle of the field. That opens up a nice throwing lane to hit that band eight post route on the outside. Now, when they see middle of the field open, say cover two, cover four, that inside post route that through route that we're talking about that's the primary read for the quarterback that's where they want to go with the football because the middle of the field is open you figure that outside vertical route is going to be occupied either if it's cover four by that outside cornerback or if it's cover two that cornerback's going to sink under it and then you're stressing that that safety that half field safety now he's got two vertical routes to worry about and that through route is aiming for that inside shoulder to get inside of him just enough where there's really nobody between him and the football and he's got the safety on his back, basically. Now, is this? I know we've talked about the uh, the double post that's run to one side and pretty much a go route on the other side. The other two potential receivers in this formation are they typically going out just as little uh, dump offs in the event that nothing is open, or are they staying in uh, in pass blocking? You could do different things with them. A lot of what. Tennessee likes to do is they'll go two by two with this formation and they'll show jet motion with the other slot receiver coming across the formation in motion and they'll fake a little jet sweep with him and then he'll run a little swing route just kind of to show the defense a potential run look that way if you do get sort of Tampa two 
and you've got that middle linebacker, that Mike linebacker that has to get vertical at the snap, his eyes might be focused on that potential jet motion. He might be thinking run, and it gives Wolf or whoever's running that through route an extra step. They ran that design against Bowling Green in the red zone, actually, for a touchdown. They showed jet motion from that slot receiver. That middle linebacker in that Tampa 2 scheme was late and get on a step back into his drop into that intermediate zone. It allowed Wolf to get a couple of steps of separation from him shortly off the line of scrimmage. And then the outside vertical route holds the backside safety. And that band eight puts that, you know, play side safety in a tough spot because he's got an outside vertical route to worry about and a cover two scheme in the red zone. And then he's got this other vertical route coming his way. He widens just enough. Wolf's wide open, makes a great adjustment on a high throw from Dobbs, pulls it in for a touchdown. Looking at Wolf, he's a guy I haven't seen a ton of buzz around him uh, heading into uh, the season as a uh, as an NFL draft prospect. Is there any reason for that at this point? Well, I mean, he wasn't really somebody that people were expecting. They they ha- they lost somebody to injury. They've actually moved a former wide receiver to tight end for this season. So I'm, you know, he's listed. He's penciled in as the starter. From what I've seen on film, he's a guy that I think can really contribute for them in the passing game, especially especially using this pass route concept. He's just kind of a guy that in this tight end class. I mean, we had John Ledyard on recently who talked about this tight end class. I mean, a lot of people are really excited about the tight ends that are going to be coming out this year. Well, he's kind of you know flying under the radar right now because there are so many other guys to talk about mark how much fun are you having covering the sec right now i am loving this i mean you have no idea how much fun it is to cover the sec i mean it, there's just great football there's great scheme stuff being you know put together by all these schools i mean i've got pieces in the works on you know alabama and how they throw the football i've got something on kentucky's offensive line um kentucky's a team that i wouldn't sleep on I think they're going to do some exciting things this year. I've got some stuff on Texas A&M's defense. So it's, I, I'm just giddy for this season to start. Well, let's, uh, let's do a quick break here just while we uh, talk a little bit about crossover football, and then we'll dig into uh, a little bit on Bama there. Crossover football can help coaches win more games and make smarter use of the film room with your team. Crossover breaks down and stats out your game film, giving you searchable clips, advanced ODK, tendency reports, and a wealth of other great information that you can access from any PC or mobile device. You can use your formations and personnel packages custom-labeled with your own terminology. You can create custom highlight reels and exchange video with anyone on any platform, including all of your players and coaches. To try one game for free, sign up for a demo at crossover.com slash pylon. That's crossover with a K dot com slash pylon to get one free breakdown today mark you mentioned you're working on something uh with alabama talk to me about what's uh what's brewing with the crimson tide here yeah and it's it's something that the idea for this piece was kind of planted in my mind last year when i noticed how much um how often alabama would use this concept um and then recently i was scrolling through twitter one day and two coaches that i follow on twitter uh coach uh ben abitz who's at coach abitz a-b-i-t-z and uh coach mike fitzgerald who's at coach fitz f-i-t-z f-ball um also highlighted a similar concept that really got the creative juices flowing and that's the basic idea is you think of Alabama, they run the football, they like to throw the ball vertically. They had Jay Coker who pushed the ball vertically very well for them at times last year. But when you watch their offense, they love to attack the flats in the passing game. And they do it in a number of different ways. And 
one of the ways that they love to do it, it's off of um, inside zone uh, RPO type stuff. So they've got an inside zone run and play called. And this is something that both the coaches I just mentioned highlighted. They give the quarterback the option of still pulling the football and throwing a quick out to the backside. And if the quarterback, whoever it is last year, Jake Coker, sees some sort of advantage on the backside where he can throw that quick out route, he's going to take it. It's basically an automatic check for them in this RPO structure. He's, he doesn't have to make a read or anything like that. I mean, he does make a read, but he doesn't have to make a call or a check or anything. It's part of the play. He just sees an, an alignment that he likes, throws the football out there. I showed two examples of this, one against Middle Tennessee State where they've got an inside zone run and play called. The defense lines up in what looks to be cover six, and that backside cornerback is given about eight yards of cushion to Calvin Ridley. So Coker sees this, sees that huge cushion. Ridley's the X receiver, single receiver to the left-hand side. He has a reduced split from the left tackle, so it's not going to be a long throw. Coker sees that, takes the eight yards cushion, and just simply throws the ball out there after the snap. Um, another play that I broke down was against LSU where they had three receivers to the left and the nickelback was lined up over the guy who eventually becomes a slot receiver and he's basically head up on him. They send one of the receivers in motion and then the defense adjusts and that nickelback now slides down, uses an extreme inside leverage over that now slot receiver. Coker sees this. Now he knows that his guy is going to have leverage running that out route. So he just goes through the RPO, the inside zone movement, throws the football out to the flat. It's a The guy basically runs like a one-yard out route, catches it just past the line of scrimmage, but because of you know the route structure that was in place, it's an easy sort of pitch catch. He's running away from the defender, turns it upfield, and a one-yard pass play turns into an 11-yard gain and a first down. Does does it seem like, because at least for me, and again, I, I was not a quarterback, I can't throw the ball more than about 15 yards, so I don't understand this at the level that you do, but it almost seems like with a lot of these RPO concepts that we've been discussing in the last couple weeks, it's almost inviting quarterbacks to use common sense just to see what's open and what's easiest as opposed to a more complicated structure. Is, is that an accurate way of describing it? I think that's kind of accurate. And the reason why, you know, I, I've often been a believer of the th- school of thought that, like, why make it harder on yourself? Like, everybody loves the, like, you know, 15-yard dig route, the, like, beautifully thrown, like, vertical route down the sideline for a 60-yard touchdown. But you don't have to try to make those throws all the time. If the defense is going to show you a defensive back given eight yards of cushion to an extremely talented receiver – just give him the football in space and let him make a play. I mean, there's a reason why you recruit a guy like Calvin Ridley to come to the University of Alabama to play football. And it's not just to run 15-yard dig routes. He can do that stuff very well. But it's to make plays in space. And that's why, you know, they use O.G. Howard, their great tight end. We were just talking about this tight end class. Howard's at the top of that list. They use designs to get him in the flat because you can get a guy like Howard who can move pretty well for a guy his size – Get him on a strong safety. Get him on a slower linebacker in the flat. It's an easy throw for the cornerback for the quarterback, but you can, you know, reduce the risk involved in making the throw, and you get an athletic football player. Get the football in his hands in space with room to make a play against a possibly overmatched defender. What's what's the learning process for a quarterback in terms of picking this up? How, if, if you were teaching a quarterback this, or if you've seen other other coaches that are teaching quarterbacks this style 
of play here. How do you go through it, actually? I mean, it's really just, you know, film study. I mean, it's it's almost like, and not to, you know, dumb it down too much, but it's almost like just pure sort of geometrics, basically. It's like, look, you know, you've got a guy out there who's really talented. He's a, you know, fast guy. He can make moves with the football in his hands. If he's got any sort of advantage, whether it's in terms of the cushion or a defender that's lined up way inside of him, just give him the football. Like, don't make the game harder than it has to be. So, I mean, it's just a matter of showing it to the showing it to the guy on film. And it's one of those types of things that when it finally clicks for the quarterback and he sees it and he makes a throw and in a simple one-yard throw turns into a 12-yard gain, the quarterback's going to be looking for that. Because think about it. I mean, it's a way to instantly, like, pad your stats and get the ball moving and get yep. first downs and, you know, keep the defense on its heels. I mean, if as a quarterback, as a guy that's played the position, if I – we had things like this in our system at Wesleyan where, you know, if guys weren't covered, you just throw them the football, no matter what the play was called, you're going to chance to make a nice, easy completion. You're going to take that. So, I mean, most quarterbacks are itching to hear stuff like that and to be given these kinds of options. Mark, got a couple minutes left. Time for one more question here. Uh, what else do you see from Alabama in terms of other things that they may do in order to get people the ball, you know, kind of in the flats, in space, as you described? Well, I mean, the, I mentioned at the outset that this was kind of a piece that generated in my mind last year. And the, the main reason for that was they love to run the split zone run play where you've got uh, either as a fullback or wing tight end blocking across the flow of the play. So you've got the offensive line. Everybody's going to the left. The play goes to the left. But that other play will cut across the formation to block the backside edge defender. Well, they will run that and they will run it and they will run it again. And then the quarterback's going to pull the football and boot to the backside and now this guy that's been coming across the formation to block that backside defensive end all game long is just going to sneak into the flat and so everybody's flowing to where they expect that zone run play to come and then he just boots back quarterback boots backside you've got OJ Howard in the flat for an easy completion and God knows how many yards he can pick up after it I mean this is something that they ran against LSU they ran this design to pick up a late uh, first down late in the fourth quarter to kind of salt that game away. They used this, this, this design against Clemson in the national championship game um, to get O.G. Howard the ball in space. They love running the ball with this blocking formation, and it helps them set it up that sort of pass play where the tight end can then release into the flat. Nobody's really expecting it because they're focusing on the run action, and you get a nice, easy completion with a lot of green in front of the guy with the ball in his hands. Not too shabby. I'll tell you what, Mark. It's great stuff right there. Another week, another uh, another great look at some SEC football, huh? Like I said, man, excited to be covering the SEC this year. We're going to have guys covering all the, the major conferences. I'm, you know, I guess the power of seniority, I get to cover the SEC. So I'm really looking forward to a lot of SEC stuff this year. It is as good as it gets. You know what else is as good as it gets? What's that? It's what we got coming up tomorrow on Kicker Friday. Oh, Kicker Friday. Love some Kicker Friday. It is that time of the week again, and I'm going to be talking a little Buffalo Bills. I'm going to be talking a little Dan Carpenter. Oh, boy. And the mystery of the missing extra points. Could have been a Judy Bloom novel or something like that, right? Yeah, I like that. Was she the one that did the titles like that? I can't remember. (sighs) Judy Bloom. She did Super Fudge. I'm trying to to remember. Um, I'm totally botching this entire thing at this point well i'm just gonna call it quits well, we'll yeah let, let's hand it up right now so, someone will figure it out for us yep. who's far more Tweet qualified in in middle school books than i am so if you know what i was getting at just let me know uh if not just 
try to come back tomorrow. We are going to be talking a little bit of Dan Carpenter as well as uh, his strange ability to miss extra points last year. We'll dig into why that happens tomorrow on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. <laughs>